Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 122, air date May 24th, 2017. I just literally drove in from Montreal, believe it or not. I had to give a talk up there um, at 10 p.m. last night. And I'd be here at 8 a.m., so I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Right? There's no flight that comes up unless you do private. So we literally rented an RV. <laughs> We went to the border, my assistant got left there, I went and did the talk, and then we drove back, but I got to sleep. So anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I think uh, that this election with Elizabeth Warren is a historic one, right? It's a, it's a big one. How many of us really want to be here? Yeah! So, you know, if we're going to beat someone like her, we have to take, in my opinion, we have to think out of the box a little bit. Right? It cannot be done the same old way, and we're going to get essentially the same old results. Um, so part of thinking out of the box is we have to think in an innovative way. My entire life has been that of an innovator, a scientist and an entrepreneur. And in many ways, it's a personification of the American dream. You know, my parents came here in 1970, and I came along with them. I was seven years old. Some of you may know India has a caste system. Right, so we were considered the lower caste or untouchables or deplorables. So, so it was sort of uh, uh, one in a trillion the fact that my parents even made it here. Right, so you you won't even find a lot of Indians like me here, far less a fake Indian. Settled initially in Patterson, New Jersey. Yay! Patterson, yeah. <laughs> and then we moved through. So my parents, you know, in those days they didn't have school choice. So my parents created their own school choice. Every one to two years, we kept moving to the better public school systems, right? So we moved to Clifton, here from New Jersey, then Persephone, and and we ended up in uh, Livingston. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a, you know, Livingston, where Chris Christie came from, Jason Alexander, and. Uh, Anyway, so it's a very interesting school system, all public schools, but very dedicated. And you know, the 70s was a time when you had dedicated public school teachers before the Department of Education sort of destroyed everything. But uh, the public school teachers in those days allowed, uh, you know, they had the standard curriculum, at least my teachers, and they'd let you go through an accelerated curriculum if you wanted. So I was one of those overachievers. By the time I was 14, I finished up calculus in the ninth grade. My high school didn't have anything else to offer. And I got accepted because of, again, the innovation of individuals. A professor at NYU, he selected 40 students to go to NYU in a special computer science program. I was one of those 40 selected. And my dear mom would drop me off at uh, 6 a.m. at Newark, Penn Station. I'd take the train as a 14-year-old, think about that, into uh, NYU. Most parents won't even allow their kids probably to walk down the street anymore. And in that, at NYU, I learned seven uh, programming languages, graduated top of the class, and came back to Livingston. And again, another woman, another teacher, changed the rules so this uh, 14-year-old kid could go into Newark. And I, I got a full-time job at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School. And I was given a very interesting challenge. Anyone over the age of 40 remembers the old inner office mail system, you remember this? So at Rutgers Medical School, every secretary was always a woman. Women in those days could uh, do four jobs, right? Secretary, teacher, nurse, or housewife. And every secretary had a physical desktop, so anyone over the, uh, 
below 40, there was a thing called a desktop, figure it out. And that desktop had a typewriter, had an inbox, an outbox, and folders. Remember this? Paper clips. People would write a thing called a memo. And it was put into a uh, inner office mail envelope tied up, and you put it into pneumatic tubes. This was a system for collaboration. Right, this is how people would hire someone, right, get a research grant. And I was asked to convert that entire system to the electronic form, and I called it email. Not only did I call it email, but I wrote 50,000 lines of code, created the email system as we know it today. Now what's interesting is the policy The interesting thing to remember was this was done not by big corporations or the military, right, or at MIT or Silicon Valley. It was done in a small medical college in Newark, New Jersey. And the ecosystem for that was what I consider America, which was, you know, loving parents, right, teachers who cared, and, and a mentor. In that triangle was where email was developed. I went off to MIT in 81. I was elected student body president and was invited to, at that time, President Paul Grace's house was a science advisor. And he said, you know, it's unfortunate you cannot patent software. Because people thought software was sheet music. Right, it was only 1980 that the Copyright Office allow you to protect software uh, uh, using copyright. So I was asked to copyright it. You know, I, my parents weren't lawyers. So there was no internet. There was no PDF files. You had to literally send in your $10. You got your form, filled it out. It wasn't just putting a C with a circle. You had to submit your code in those days. And on August 30th, 1982, I was issued the first US copyright for email, recognizing me as the inventor. Wow. So that was in the facts. I write the 50,000 lines of code, I called it email, and I got the first US copyright. It was only 1994, by the way, that the uh, Federal Court of Appeals finally realized that software is actually a digital machine, that it should have patent protection. So anyway, that's the story. Went off to MIT, did a bunch of degrees, uh, in and out of there, I did four degrees, uh, including my PhD in biological engineering, started seven companies. In fact, the latest company I've done uh, allows you to model mathematically the human cell on the computer and we can develop drugs faster and cheaper. So I was actually at the largest osteoarthritis conference um, delivering the, the main lecture. But all of this, in many ways, was not possible without America. I could not have done this in India or any other country. It was this country that made that possible. And we cannot forget that it's the country that made all of us, you know, has given us all of this incredible opportunity. And the founders, in my opinion, or as a fact show this of how they built this country, was for each one of us to have a direct connection with our creator. If you really go read you know, what Jefferson talked about, or Thomas Paine, the idea was each one of us should be able to use our own mind, body, and soul to connect with our creator. And that meant ultimately being innovative, standing up on our own two feet, taking risks, being brave, innovating, and creating things. That was the foundations of America, and that's the foundations that my parents left a caste system in India, and that's what we still have today. However, if you look at people like Elizabeth Warren and the opposition, they have a very different view. They believe that they know better, right? They believe that they are the intermediaries between us and our creator. And I'm talking about it at a very fundamental level. When you really go to what they think, they actually think they are better. It's a very unnatural way of looking at life. So as a part of that, what comes out of that is all their policies, but that's the core. So if we go to that core, that's the fundamental difference I believe we as Republicans need to get back to. And that core is so you take something like Dodd-Frank, 
And they're very clever at this. So Dodd-Frank, she talks about going in, you know, after the big banks, but what it actually did was destroy 1,200 community banks, right? And what makes America great is community banks. And most countries have three or four large banks. America has thousands of community banks, which is where entrepreneurs go, have direct one-on-one -on -one relationships with their bankers, you know, get their business funded, but 1,200 got destroyed. So it's a very interesting model, right? You say you're going after the big guy, sounds good, but what you actually do is you go destroy the small guy. Uh, for those of us, you know, who ran the small businesses, you know, when Sorbanes-Oxley came, if everyone remembers, they said, we're gonna go after the big guys, and what it did was actually increase the auditing fee. You know, the company I ran, you know, was a 15K auditing fee ended up becoming 50K, right? So that's the name of the game, is centralization of power, coming between us and our ability to do, because they really think they, they know better. And then if you look at healthcare, you know, Elizabeth Warren's on this gig right now, you know, this is a basic human right. Well, healthcare is not a basic human right. Freedom is a basic human right. Choice is a basic human right. Those are basic human rights. But the reality is with healthcare, you know, with Obamacare, what's actually happened is, you know, thousands of doctors who actually deliver health, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, the family practitioner, they've been destroyed. You can look at the statistics, right? If you look at how many family practitioners have to go join large hospitals, that's what's happened. And by the way, when you go to a large hospital, there's probably a two-thirds chance you're gonna get sick when you go into the hospital. <laughs> Think about that. These are statistics. So basically, the racket is, say you're going after the big guys, but you actually don't. You go after the small guys. My life has actually been going after those institutions of power who actually do get in our way. You know, if you go look at my history, um, you know, on the email side, because if you Google me, you'll see all this controversy. And the reason it occurred was in 2011, when my dear mom was dying of pulmonary fibrosis, in a suitcase she had left all those artifacts I talked about, about the invention of email. And I never wanted fame or fortune, never made a penny up, and made a ton of money in other ways. Um, Time Magazine came to look at all this material, and they wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email. You can see it in November 2011. Three months later, the Smithsonian wanted all the materials, and they held a beautiful donation ceremony in Washington, and went into the Smithsonian. Washington Post reporter wrote a beautiful article, Shiva Adre honored as the inventor of email. Now you would think this should be a great occasion for celebration. What ended up happening, happening is a fake news liberal press, which claims that they want to help people like me, right? The, they wrote all sorts of defamatory articles, uh, including a newspaper called Gawker Media. I remember Gawker? Gawker's gone now. So, so you know, eventually, you know, I was trying to find lawyers who would take on Gawker. Very few people are, you know, most people are afraid to take on these guys. Uh, if you remember, Hulk Hogan took them on because they released an awful video. So I approached the same lawyer. So we took them on. Um, 30 days after I filed, Gawker, we filed for 35 million Gawker claim bankruptcy. And the karma or the irony is I was appointed the chairman the bankruptcy committee. So we sold them, but as a part of that, we got all the three articles, which are defamatory articles, pulled down. Plus, I got paid close to a million bucks. And it's an important story because you have to go fight these guys. These are not like you know small things. These are big institutions of power who have the backing. Um, many years ago. With my research, I talked about, you know, there's a company called Monsanto. Now, I'm not pro or against GMO, but the reality is GMOs have no safety assessment standards. We use science to expose the fake science of Monsanto. And when we showed that 
Genetically engineered soy, for example, has about 200% less antioxidants. We published that. We were attacked by some of the large liberal institutions, like the University of Florida professor claiming that GMOs are absolutely safe. He also claimed that he had nothing to do with Monsanto. Interestingly enough, a, a group out on the West Coast filed a FOIA on this professor, chairman of the University of Florida uh, Department of uh, Agriculture, and 4,000 emails the irony has come out, and there's an actual letter from Monsanto to him giving you 25K. So this is how these guys operate, right? They're very, very clever. And so I've you know, fought these guys all my life. If you go to my website, you'll see I, I used to expose the hypocrisy at MIT. But I know how to fight these guys, I know how to fight Warren, and I know how to defeat her. But you know, for me, it's not Warren. You know, I know I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with her and seriously cause some damage to expose her, which is what needs to be done. But more importantly, you know, I'm new to the entire Republican committee, the entire you know, guts and the infrastructure of how you, how you guys work. So we're learning how to do this. We actually have uh, three students at MIT actually took an old school bus, gutted it, and we call it Real Indian One, and it's like a... <laughs> email analysis, it was called EchoMail. It was originally used by the Clinton White House. We grew that to around a 250 million value company. Um, the George Bush campaign uses, so we have our own technology for using. So we have technology, we have people, we have a lot of great volunteers, and I'm, I'm looking forward to working with all of you because I really believe a real Indian can only be the face. <laughs>